friends, welcome back to another video slash episode of the James Red Podcast. Today, I have a guy here named Tommy Reynolds. Reynolds? Reynolds? Something like that? How would yes, you say Yes, yeah, that? Reynolds, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, I, get, yeah. I get very timid about last names. No. Um, he's a... Do you know what? It's, it's, how I know, it's how I know that people are selling me something on the phone, because they say, can I speak to uh, Mr. Reynolds, please? I'm like... Yeah, yeah. What are you going to sell to me now? Yeah, it's because it's the Y in my surname that throws people off. It should be R E N. It's like I've got a silent Y in my name. But sorry, carry on. <laughs> I get I get read a lot. Do you? Yes, okay. Which makes absolutely no sense to me. I, I can't understand it because it would. Yeah. It's two D's. I don't understand how that makes an E sound. I would say no, I would think red da 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 da, but not read. <laughs> Just someone with a stutter. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And that's perfectly yeah. acceptable because the letters are actually there. I'll never figure this out. Maybe I'll ask God this when I die. But uh, yeah. anyway, so for, uh, Tommy, first off, he is a he is a uh, YouTube creator. And according to his Instagram account, he is a photographer, a storyteller, a speaker, and an avocado lover. And he creates very lovely environmental portraits, but he also seems to know his way around the studio as well. Uh, on his channel, he creates videos about all sorts of photography-related things, and uh, there was one time he almost didn't make it out of Ethiopia alive, and we'll talk about that more <laughs> very shortly. But he, I will link below to his things. He is a very interesting creator, and uh, thank you for taking the time, Tommy. How are you doing today? Mm, pleasure, absolute pleasure. No, I'm doing great. Thanks ever so much for asking me to be on this show. I've, uh, as I said to you just a moment ago, it's the first time I've ever been asked to do one of these things. So yeah, it's, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, like I, I told him, I hope it's a dream come true. I really. Yeah, it's, I hope. It's, he, it's, I hope he sleeps better tonight because of this conversation. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a. This is a peak right now. This is a. This is a moment. I need to. I need to get this on. I need to take an Instagram of this moment right oh, now yes, and remember yes. it forever. <laughs> yes, save it, share it with everyone you can, send it into competitions, see if you can win it for the most compelling emotional story. Sort of thing. Okay, well, yeah. f first off, before we kind of get into talking about um, your creative journey and where you're at right now and where you've been and all this sorts of fun stuff, uh, where can people find you if they want to? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at TommyReynolds89 and on Twitter with the same handle and on Facebook Tommy Reynolds Photography and YouTube, just type Tommy Reynolds and then TommyReynolds.co.uk uh, if you want my official website. Beautiful. That was quick and concise. I like that. Yes, thanks, man. It's hard, it's hard to keep all your things organized on the internet. No, I, I purposely changed my, my Twitter so that I, you know how you when you get, get your handle and it's never it they might you might not have your name so you got to throw on the number which is what I did with Instagram and with the with Twitter and and the and the others I I actually changed it to eighty nine because I wanted it to be consistent because then it's just easier so then then it's just easier to, as you just as I just did just dish out your all your social so it's a little bit easier right oh I feel like it's a little bit more forgivable to have. The, not the perfect name that's consistent across the board than a perfect name here and then one over here that has 6470 at the end yeah, and then right. this other one's like you know Tommy loves whales uh, exactly potato so okay <laughs> I, do, I do like potatoes though well it's an idea just look into that Yes, I mean, I'll add the, I'll add an account I'll make a new account shall I <laughs> Tommy Reynolds uh, Tommy Reynolds potato <laughs> it's just just all variations of potato yeah 
Potato Reynolds. Tommy Potato. Okay. Hey, so when did you decide, uh, or why did you decide to become a photographer? So, uh, I, I'll tell you what this is. Uh, I'll give you... I'll give you the uh, the the the, uh, the honest, the real honest answer that I give people um, when when I get asked that. I I took it at school because I thought it was going to be a DOS, which over in the UK DOS means kind of like uh, it's like it'll be easy. Wow. I genuinely thought that it was going to be easy. It's got to be better than maths, surely, something like that. Um, uh, so I picked it as an option at school uh, doing GCSE, which is like um, I don't know what it would be. Um, over there but it's before you go to university and uh, I, I guess I, just high school yeah so I, I I picked it and absolutely fell in love with it I thought it was awesome um I, I the idea of photography my, my course itself was a little bit uh it was a little bit arty farty in in it was more about how you present your work versus actually using the camera so after after uh high school uh, after uh, secondary school, we uh, I bought my first camera, which was I still remember it was a it was a Fuji Fine Pix S five six hundred bridge camera. That was my very first camera, which I I still have somewhere in my in my in my room. You gotta and keep those things around. I yeah, I've got a I've got a um in my studio I've got a shelf and I don't have that one, but I've I, it's in my room somewhere. But I do have most of my other cameras, like a shelf, like a shrines of uh, of like where I've been and where I'm going, <laughs> uh, which is pretty cool, including some of the film cameras. But yeah, so I started when when I was at school thinking it was going to be I was going to just you know it, it was going to get away with it and stuff. But I I loved it, enjoyed the process, and uh, also enjoyed filmmaking as well. Um, and it's kind of side from there. So I guess I must have been uh, when I was picking my options about uh, 11, 12, about 16, 17. That's when I kind of picked up my first camera and progressed from there, really. And I started shooting uh, bands, uh, bands that are in my class or in my school. That's kind of where I first started to do photography was, was shoot, shooting bands for my friends and stuff. Mm. Does, was there something that you enjoyed about live music that drew you to that, or was it just the easiest starting point? Yeah, no, I, uh, I I love going to see live shows, love going to concerts, and this combined those two elements for me. And I, uh, the music scene in my area at the time was really great. There were some really great bands of my age, and there were lots of in in where where I'm from in Medway. There's there were a few places where um people my age would, could put on their own acts and put put on their own shows and i would say if you let me in free i'll photograph your band um and f for free as well just give me a mention on facebook how about that and that's kind of how it started so i got to see the show free didn't have to pay entry and got to experience it and shoot some cool photos and then i just became known as uh, the guy that the band photographer that guy that shoots the bands and still very much interested in shooting live music as well i i dipped my toe into it only uh, for the first time in a while a few days ago when i shot paloma face but that is how it started way back um because i just have a love for music as well that's fantastic i you really learn what you can get away with if you look like you're supposed to be there when it comes to music photography mm -hmm. like i learned what sort of things i could pull off if i was like i just hold up the camera and go hey how's it going just walk by you're like oh, oh i guess it's a, i guess he's no, supposed to so that's true. a that's a, supposed to happen 
No, no, no. It's it's so true. It's funny to say you've just actually reminded me of a memory that when I again at the time when I was doing photography, picked, picking up my first camera, I was really overweight and I didn't have an awful lot of confidence. And I know it's, it sounds cheesy, but it really was. It it really did give me the confidence to walk up to someone because I now had an excuse hanging from around my neck. Mm -hmm. I could actually go up to someone and say, Hey, my name's Tommy. I just shot your band. Um, have, have, here's a couple of them. And they were like, Oh, that's cool. And then that's it. Yeah. I've already, the, the ice has been broken. So I, I really have a lot to thank for photography for giving me confidence to walk up to people. It give it gives, it gave me an excuse to, uh, to be more confident. And so, yeah, so that's, how I became more confident is via photography. That's interesting. Okay, that's cool. Um, so when you were in that zone of, of just beginning and maybe even before you began, what were what were some of your early inspirations in terms of people that, that uh, made you excited about the, the craft of photography, if any at all? Uh in all, in perfectly, perfectly honest, um, in my early stages, uh, there wasn't really um photographers that I was looking at for inspiration at the I was I was inspired by the my subjects if that makes sense so my subjects would inspire me if they put on a good show it just made me want to work harder to get a good shot so uh, starting to incorporate off-camera flash at shows like getting a little stand and putting it behind them knowing that they were going to give a good show or um so my drive came from trying to get them excited about the photos that they were going to get. So I would, uh, and also when I occasionally, if when I direct music videos as well, where I will be talking to my subjects and if I will be literally shouting at them whilst I'm, whilst I'm photographing, I'll go, come on, like, I'll like, egg them on to look at the camera. You're a tiger. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> with these glasses, Austin Powers is a good Yes, of course. Of course. <laughs> so really, yeah, I guess in all honesty, I have, uh, loads of inspirations now but kind of back then um it was still really new to me and i didn't know yet if it was going to be my career so the i, I was inspired by the subjects and and the, and the music they were playing really mm, that's interesting and for me it's like early on when i was when i was coming up and i was interested in uh filmmaking so i got an interest in filmmaking before i got into photography and specifically mm. documentary filmmaking i've always loved documentaries and when i was young i was growing up and i was homeschooled i'd sit in my house and watch whether whether it was national geographic or youtube or whatever i would sit down and watch documentaries about random stuff that i thought was interesting and i always loved the format and so it's like i always say that you know you have the entrepreneurial types who have these stories about starting lemonade stands when they're one and a half and making <laughs> you know a hundred thousand dollars from all of their friends they've turned them into a sort of a franchise I was watching documentaries. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, I think inspiration comes from so many different outlets. It's not, you know, I can't, I, I'm not the best at naming photographers and creators off the top of my head, but mm. I do know films and photographs yeah. that have inspired me. Uh, so no, no, because uh, I come from, well, my, my degree is in filmmaking. So I've, I've got a huge love for filmmaking as well, which is why I'm so involved in, the crew, the uh, the editing process of my behind the scenes videos that my friend will shoot for me and like you yeah it was my it was um, I guess you would call it one of my first loves because I kind of I did I I got into photography and filming at the same time um, the only reason I chose to do filmmaking at uni 
versus photography was I didn't enjoy um, GCSE or secondary school photography at the course and I didn't want the university experience to be the same as that because I was told that the filmmaking course or this specific course I was looking at was a lot more hands-on involved in the production so that was why I veered off to do filmmaking and music again in films inspires me so much mm. I, I love listening to like epidemic sounds and music bed because sometimes it's the it's the songs or the the pieces of music that inspire an idea so sometimes it's the music that comes first um for me uh, and and not not the piece i'm actually making so uh it's nice when that happens because music so that is another inspiration mm. for me is 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 the music i'm listening to and you might feel the same as you're so into kind of more filming yourself like yeah. the documentaries oh absolutely i think music is the hardest part of editing and it is simultaneously like it can be the most influential part of telling telling a story and when you look at a site like epidemic they, they actually have a lot of very cinematic types of um, musical pieces on there and whenever i come across there, there are certain ones that i will come across that i don't even want to use because they're so good and i want to save them until the film that i make a week and a half before i die because it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like i don't even know what to do with it it's so good but i'll save it in a yeah. playlist and put it over here and uh yeah, yeah i think i'm the same I think for me, some of the most powerful moments in watching any given film that has been inspiring to me is the music and the, the sound and how they organize together different sounds to make you feel, you know, anxious or tense. Um, yeah. And uh, and also, you know, that can happen on a visual level. Like I think of the film, I think it was 127 hours, I think is yes. the amount of hours that he. So, yeah, yeah it's about a guy down in the state where I live southern utah he climbed yeah. down into a, a slot canyon he fell a rock fell on his arm it got uh, he got trapped and he had to saw his own arm off with a dull pocket knife so just an exciting friday but, <laughs> but he, bless him he uh so he was so it's a true story he got out he survived amazingly incredible story on its own but there's a movie about it with james franco and yeah, yeah, the sound design in this movie was ridiculous. Like he would like hit a nerve when he was cutting his arm and you'd just hear this sound or he would, uh, or the, the, you know, there, there's a part where he's walking through the desert after he cut his arm off. What's funny is I haven't even seen the full movie. I've just seen scenes, but uh, <laughs> it's good movie. He's, he's walking through the, you know, he's walking through the desert and everything, the, the visuals start to make you feel like you're about to pass out with him. And, mm. the, and the sound and all of that comes together. And so it's really, I mean, all of these elements um, can be extremely powerful in creating an emotional response and in turn telling a story that hopefully matters. Uh, but I, I love that. And I love, I've, I've always loved really strong, powerful music and war movies and of course documentaries. Yeah, I think it's un it's quite an underrated thing. I think everyone is so aware of visuals, but I think people um, more often than not will neglect the sound, uh, or even even just foley sounds. If you if we're talking filmmaking, um, and it's just it goes so such a long way when you when you just watch it with the sound off and you realize just how much of an impact sound is making. I mean, I know I'm not a sound guy, but I, I, I like to think I know enough to appreciate, to appreciate it at the same time. It's not kind of my thing, but yeah, it really does account for so much when you're, when you're watching film, as you said, especially for horror, when you're trying to create a certain uh, emotional response and that tension. So yeah, it's, it's very, it's very, very cool.
Yeah, or, or just the ability to make you feel what the character is feeling in the movie when, for example, their mom's dying of cancer and you're in the room with them and mm. they, they use music to make you feel like you're you're in their body experiencing. I love that stuff. It's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah, uh, yeah. color color grading too is another form of that. Very powerful, right? If you want, if you are making a movie that's where you're strolling through the Arctic and you're about to die, you make the colors feel really cold, and then yeah. the person who's watching is like, "Ugh!" And then when they come back at the end, I, I think of scene from Lord of the Rings after all is said and done, and Frodo's laying in the bed, all the colors are really warm because it's a happy oh, yeah, moment, yeah. right? Um, all of that's really fascinating. Uh, and really powerful but my wife See, it, go ahead oh i was gonna gonna refer to um the sixth sense how that was one of the first things first movies i ever watched in media studies at school and that was that was when i got my love for filmmaking specifically when uh my teacher was talking about the iconographic objects and color and the use of color in that film how that red is so powerful and how it, it really opened my eyes up because I, I was so oblivious to that way of thinking in filmmaking, like even just down to something silly, like having a higher camera angle looking down on you makes the character look weak and uh, subordinate. Like I never thought of that. Like it's all these subliminal um, subtle things that you're thinking of when you're watching a film that you almost don't realize that as a filmmaker, you need to know and need to be aware of it. It's like a psychology with it. And I, I find that fascinating mm -hmm. how you can make someone think a certain thing through color grading and camera angles or camera focal lengths. So it's all of these things that, that make that, that make a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's fascinating. Well, I think it's uh, another thing is the camera in itself as a character, because if you watch a movie and a camera lingers in one spot, a shot lingers in one spot for a little bit longer than you expected. It you you go. I need to be paying attention. Something's about to happen. Yes. The, the camera itself has a lot of power. And I watched a video yeah. about that the other day. I, I that I never thought about it on that level before. Um, I think I've I've always sort of subconsciously thought about that, which is what's so what what's so interesting to think about is that most people take these sort of cues in subconsciously but if you yeah. think about it you can take them in consciously and then you can recreate them consciously and then appeal to other people subconsciously but uh, but i i love the power <laughs> of the the camera angle and making a movie and like you said that you know getting down low pointing up on somebody if you want them to feel heroic and pointing yeah. down on them or if you want it you know them to uh, rain coming down if you want it to feel like they're depressed and this sort of thing so that's exciting. Yeah, I didn't think we would go off on a movie making tangent. No, it's fine. I mean, it's uh, I, I, it's, I, it's, I have a degree in it. I'm, I'm fascinated. I love movies. Uh, again, I think that's what I think that's one of the things just to uh, die uh, to 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 uh, kind of transition maybe into more relevant topic. I think it's what's. Um, it helps me with the knowledge I have and the love I have for film. Helped me with my YouTube content and using it to drive. Um, making my behind the scenes video uh, what they are and make them better because I can it allows me then to combine both loves I can have my friend I can direct my friend who's filming filming me it's direct I can block the scene and we can talk about it and we've worked together for now years and so he knows how I work very well so we've got a great we're, we're a great team and um, yeah so because I'm so involved with that process we're able to um, 
we have the knowledge behind us. We know about frame rates. We know about focal lengths. We know how to create a story visually with, through um, through moving images, not just stills. Because there, are, you have a lot of stills photographers that now in this day and age that almost have to now embrace video. They they kind of have to really because it's just a medium. Video is is a medium that we know is just the best uh, media out there that to to get to get your message across because it just does so much better than a photo and a photo does better than a status update but at the top of all that i i think it's video it you you can get everything in a video you can get sound you can get sound effects you know you get music you get your pictures obviously in there and tell the story so that's why i think that photographers if they haven't embraced video they need to embrace it to just really help them grow as a photographer, especially from a marketing point of view, certainly. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, I think the video is such a good way to help a photographer. Uh, well, help that if they're trying to teach somebody the craft of photography, it's absolutely crucial because it has has such a uh, you're able to pull so many elements together in a visual way that help communicate to the person that you're speaking to in a way that doesn't feel like they have to read 11 paragraphs to understand but you can condense it into something that feels very tangible understandable and that's 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 really interesting see i've never like i've never went fully down the rabbit hole of a photographer has to learn video because i suppose it depends on what you do but i also think that if you are i think that that learning how to edit a video at least on a basic level in our society right now is up there with learning how to, I don't know, write code maybe. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, when I was at school, it was the first, it was the first year you, when you pick your options to do your final exams in uh, secondary school, it was the first year that they had made language non-compulsory and computers compulsory, which was fine for me because I was I like using a computer, but I was actually quite glad because I didn't want to learn French for another two or three years. So it was, but it's interesting that it's probably because, you know, the, the day and age we live in that, you know, you have to embrace using a computer at the very least because it's, you know, it's just, they're just everywhere. You can't avoid it. But yeah, I, and I do agree. I think uh, having that basic knowledge of just cutting something up, I think is very, valuable as a as a photographer i think at one point or another you're going to get asked aren't you it, oh do you shoot video as well i guarantee every photographer will be asked that and it was um it was a uh, when well, before we went online i was talking about ub40 how i got the job of working with this band was there it was um the photographer of this band were um said to said to him oh do you shoot video as well and he reluctantly said uh yeah yeah i do and then he asked me if i would help out and even someone like him who's very established photographer um shooting celebrity bands he even gets asked to shoot video and i guarantee it's just because of the day and age we live in so it's yeah it's you i think you really do have to embrace it and have some basic knowledge on editing Mm. yeah so that's that's an interesting thing because and i'm I'm curious your viewpoint on this because I'm I I don't live in the freelance photography world so much and I think that there are two different worlds right you have the photographer who shares on Instagram and maybe makes YouTube videos as well those this is segment one over here and then over here you have the more traditional route of photography where you're going and taking photos of uh, couples or you're 
you know, you're a birth photographer or a food photographer, product photographer, this and that. And do you think, so you think it's necessary to learn video in order to diversify yourself so that you can, you can sort of, um, I don't know, like I, I wonder if the photographer should be really, really good at one thing. No, I, 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 yeah, I hear what, I hear what you're saying. I think maybe, uh, maybe to rephrase it then, I think it's a great thing to have in the tool bag or it's a great aid, a marketing aid, purely because of algorithms on social media is that video just does better than, than stills. That's a fact. Um, at least it is anyway at, at this point. So, yeah, I think what I'm, I guess it does help diversify you as well. I believe it's made me a better photographer mm-hmm. and also photography has made me a better filmmaker. Oh, yeah, um, I, I think it definitely goes hand in hand. So I think, yeah, what I meant was that it's just, it's a, I mean, you could perfectly have a career without doing video, but I think it's, it helps. I think it just, it mm. does help. It's a, well, and it's also a good way to um, help people because if someone is trying to work with you as their photographer, a huge strength that you can bring to the table is your personality. If you have one, I think most of us have one. Uh, and if you can, yeah. if you can figure out a way to get on video and make yourself look halfway decent and communicate, <laughs> like when you send people to your landing page, they click a video and it's like, hi, I'm Tommy. And I would love to shoot you know, your wedding, take best photos you've ever seen in your life. This is my philosophy. I, you know, I, I don't, I have a, I don't have a short temper. I won't punch any of the bridesmaids in the face and all of this stuff and then they <laughs> and then they they watch this and they go man this guy looks like a stand up fellow he doesn't look like he's going to come to the wedding with drugs you know <laughs> so, and it, it, i think so i think for that reason alone it's a fantastic tool like i think my wife actually got a job because of our youtube channel that we share her um her boss the the one that ended up hiring hiring her saw her videos and he, he made YouTube videos as well. So he got a handle for her personality from her videos. And I think that's hugely powerful. Oh, a hundred percent. I think, um, uh, yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, It really does show off your personality. I did a, uh, um, I I did a long talk on this, which is on my YouTube channel, but I'll, I'll tell it, tell a very brief version, but I was invited to the photography show in Birmingham this, this year. And I spoke about how you can earn money doing what you love. And one of the, one of the main things uh, you can do to do that, or to uh, certainly to gain affiliation with brands is to show them your personality and my behind the scenes videos, whilst at the start, that wasn't the intention the intention was just to make cool video for my channel because I wanted to share it because I thought it would look cool. I was able to use that as a marketing tool. It was never the intention to use it as a marketing tool at first, and it shouldn't be because what you do should be born out of love. You should want to do it because you love doing it, not because you know it's going to make you money. But it transpired into using my behind-the-scenes video to use it as a marketing tool. And I gave it to Pixapro, which is a lighting company here in the base in the UK that I'm really affiliated with. And if you follow my work, you'll know of Pixapro because I've mentioned them all the time in my geek part. But I approached them with my, I think at this point, I'd made two behind the scenes videos, both personal projects. And I gave them the videos and said, would you like to collaborate? Can I borrow some gear and I will do something similar to what I've done here? And they said, they said, yes, they pretty much gave me the catalog and said, what do you want to borrow? And I spoke to the head of the company and said, 
out of curiosity, way back when we first started collaborating, because we're going back about two or three years now, I said, would you have collaborated with me if you hadn't seen the behind the scenes videos? If we were just going on the photos, um, would you still have taken a chance? And he went, I probably wouldn't have. And I said, and why is that? And he said, it's because the videos, like we could see your personality, we could see what you're about. We could see that we know we knew that by giving you the gear, it would be, we could see that you'd look after it. You just get a flavor for someone when you see a behind the scenes video and not even just a video. I, I'm such an advocate and, and, and a preacher of people doing personal work and people showing their work. Uh, those are the two main things that I I, I wanted to communicate with your audience uh, is that I'm I'm someone and I want them to know I want them to to encourage them to is to create personal work and to get out of that comfort zone when you were saying about how uh talking about people who specifically are freelancers doing this I think it's even more important if you're a, a freelancer to do personal work because it's so easy to be a working professional and get stuck in that rut and doing the same old thing all the time, doing maybe headshot, corporate shots, because it is so easy to fall into that trap because you know it works, but at the same time, you'll get bored very easily because it's a go-to and it's an easy go-to, but you, you you can't challenge yourself creatively because you're just doing the same old thing over and over. And because you're now in this, you're now in this new bracket over here where you're getting paid to do what you do, you don't want to take a chance and do something that, um, uh, what's the word? You don't want to, um, you, you don't want to take a chance trying something new with a paying client in case you mess up because you don't want to look silly. But back when you were over here, when you were an amateur, when you were a hobbyist, you didn't mind about messing up because it's all part of the learning process. It was fun and it should still be fun. And it, and it, and it should, yeah, it should be fun when you're still over here. And I think in order to keep it fun and to keep learning and to keep progressing, you need to do personal work. And that's now why I do one personal project a month, regardless of, so it's my shoot, my concept, something I want to do creatively. And I have just now kind of fell into this, this kind of, thing where I'm I'm using my personal work to work with brands and now I've I'm trying to become more associated with getting paid to do my personal work getting paid to do what I love now I'm in a very great position where Pixapro fund my personal work in exchange I use um, I use this modifier this month and that modifier next month and that's how it kind of transitioned with the traveling side of things um, how uh, Olympus recently um, in Ethiopia, they endorsed that trip. And But if we rewind, they only endorsed that because it was born out of a personal project and, and doing something that I loved because I went to Sri Lanka and India first out of my own back, paid it for myself. So, yeah, it's another digression. I apologize, but it's... No, quite all right. I love the digressions. I have not been disappointed but... with a single one of these digressions. Keep it up. Fantastic. <laughs> That's good to know. But, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I forgot what your question was. But I think, uh, yeah, when as a working professional, you have to do personal work because you will most more than likely get stuck in that rut, and you won't realise it until you're there, and you think. Why, why am I only getting called up to do headshot corporate stuff? Why isn't no one calling me up to do something really creative? Yeah, and it's like it's like well. 
what was your last five jobs? Well, they're all corporate headshots. Okay. And what's so, on your what, website? They're all and corporate what's on your website? Oh, it's all headshots. <laughs> no one's going to hire you to do that thing that you love because no one knows you do that thing you mm-hmm. love. Mm-hmm. So you really have to show, um, show what you're worth and show that you can do it. And to prove it to the world, you've got to do it yourself. You've got to prove it to us. No one's going to take a chance on you. Um, John Lewis isn't going to hire you to shoot this campaign if they've never seen anything mm. that you've done similarly to that. So it's, yeah. yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think that it's like, if you're, whether you're doing freelance work or whether you're building an audience of people that you want to follow you, which often takes a lot longer to do, um, the I think the, the the key beginning point is to build a an ever more impressive body of work for people to stumble upon and for you to send people to when you're saying I want to you know if I, I want to talk about your product on my video I have I have you know I just made it to 20,000 followers and you know and maybe you can pay me a little bit for this thing and send me a watch right uh, you're going to send them to the closest thing to that. And when I, whenever yeah. I send the, whenever I reach out to people like you to have conversations with, I send you what I feel like was a really solid conversation that you can go and get a reference point other than, so that way it's not just me sending you a message on Instagram and saying, Hey, uh, I like to talk with you people about creative things and put it on my YouTube channel. Like you have a, you have a reference point for the quality for my personality. I'm not going to bring drugs to the conversation once again. Uh, <laughs> and exactly. And you, and you linked me to uh, Sean Tucker's uh, uh, interview or talk you gave, which was, which is ironic because I, I saw him like two days before or after that you sent yeah. me that. Cause me, me and Sean are going to be collaborating in a couple of months. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I adore Sean's vision and his um, approach on, on, on the world as, 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 as I'm sure anyone else who follows him is everyone has that same fear. He's got a very, very solid brand and I, mm, I'm, he's got a very got, unique style, very moody. Absolutely. It's something that, um, it's a conversation that I've had recently with him and it's not something I've actually spoken to a lot of people about, but since speaking with Sean, it, I've, I want to take a slightly different approach to my YouTube channel because um, back in January and up until maybe three or four months into the new year, um, I was posting one video a week. And I've now decided since speaking with Sean that I'm actually going to slow that down. So I don't want to do one video a week now because I want to now create videos that are a little bit more meaning and take a little bit more time. And because I realized that looking back at my last kind of few videos, with the exceptions of a couple of talks, they've been uh, talks, they've been it, videos where uh like tip videos and i don't I, I don't want to get in a habit of doing too many of them i want to balance it with so videos that i am truly proud of are the interview i did with my nan the uh photo shoot i did with alf hunt the world war ii veteran and an interview or a documentary which i am about to release next month of a guy called james dunn who has um who had unfortunately he passed away a couple of months ago he has, uh, he had epidemiolysis bullosa, which was a skin condition. And he was uh, interviewed by the BBC. He was part of a BBC doc- uh, drama called, uh, sorry, not drama, documentary called The Big Life Fix, in which he wasn't able to use his camera anymore. So the BBC and a team of experts built this camera rig to attach to his wheelchair. And he is ne- he was now able to 
uh, use his camera via an iPad. He could literally pan, zoom, uh, move it. He can change the settings all from his iPad because his fingers had been fused together. And I saw that and I was so inspired by it. And I contacted him and then said, James, I would love to come up and meet you. And I want to teach you how to use your camera in manual mode. And he said, that would be amazing. And I said, can I bring up my guy to come and film the experience? And he went, yeah, absolutely. And we did it and we premiered it at my local cinema, my local Odeon, which was an amazing feeling. And uh, we're releasing it to YouTube next, next, uh, next week. And the point of that story was that is an example, another example of something that I am truly, truly proud of and something that will last the test of time. And referencing Sean's video um, that you did with him, I totally agree how you look at my portfolio and I don't shoot an awful, uh, like I don't do boudoir. That's not my thing. And not to di um, discourage people that do shoot that, but I don't believe there's an awful lot of storytelling um there versus <laughs> talking to alf hunt there's who, definitely a visual story oh yes absolutely <laughs> definitely a visual story but obviously it's just per it's personal preference of course isn't it and i you know um i and it's not what excites me um what excites uh, what excites me is is the storytelling aspect and i feel like that um that is going to be a slightly different direction going forward my youtube will have hopefully is the stuff that i've done with alf where um we had this formula where i would interview him and in between you cut to b-roll and the b-roll is slow motion footage of me photographing him mm -hmm. and the shots that we get from that so rewinding back to when i started doing behind the scenes videos it would be cinematic no talking it's just kind of all like nicely filmed just so you can get a sense of what i'm doing and now it's got this interview overlay over the top which adds more layers like a as the cherry on the cake and that i feel is now getting far more engagement um because you're adding so many more layers to it there's something for everyone there's documentary there's photography there you're learning something and it's engaging there's music you know um that you can use so i feel like that that's a direction now that i want to i want to I want to diverse my YouTube. I'm going to still do some of these tip videos because I think they're great for, for the channel. It's a good way to um, encourage new audiences. It's, it's almost like a, a YouTube musician doing covers. And then once you're in, you can then hopefully they'll explore their, your channel and see your original work. And this is what I guess, this is the photography version of it. I do tip videos to pull in new people because unfortunately as we as we know and as me and sean know we were to, when we when we spoke when we met that something like that james documentary i've made will not get as many hits yeah. as my five ways to use a single softbox yeah. it's yeah. just the nature of the beast mm -hmm. yeah and oh i think people don't like to think sometimes so that's that's where some of that comes from is they want the most digestible version of the the thing and that's always that that has always had the the highest mass appeal on a societal level oh, no absolutely yeah i get i get messaged all the time people asking me uh what's uh, what's the best lens to get what's the best softbox to get for um for this and while i'm happy i have it obviously to give advice but it's it's um like it's more it's not the most important thing like you can get away with any softbox you know re relatively but they want to know specifically what you use oh so what's yeah but what was your aperture mm. i mean 
it, it, in hindsight, it doesn't really matter. I did my geek part at the bottom of my photo, so I had a reference, so I could go back. It's <laughs> not really for anyone else. It's for me. And there have been a couple of times where I've wanted to recreate a shot in the studio because the client has referenced it on my Instagram, and I've had to go back to that image and be like, why did I use? Um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't. You knowing what I shot, it's, you're, you're still not going to be able to go away and recreate that because you know there's other factors. You know, depends on. Uh, the lighting conditions in the room like it could be totally different to what I had so it's not going to be the same so uh, but yeah no it's, well yeah you, you have to ask yourself if you're uh, as an artist if you're asking the right questions because if you're asking questions about gear and if you're asking questions like what um what softbox did Tommy use your photos will get incrementally better technically but mm. they they will not get more meaningful because of that yeah Right. And so you, you yeah. I think I heard somebody say that the a good teacher, something along the lines of a good teacher helps the student understand the right questions to ask more than they give them the answers. Right. Yes. And I think that's, yes. that's a really powerful, that's a really powerful thought. Um, but I, I, I love to talk about meaning on here and pursuing meaning with your work, because I think a lot of people take, they spend a lot of time creating pretty things because they're fun to do. And that has yes. its value, of course. But sure, um, I love I love what you're talking about with um, your documentary. Did you what, what was his name again? Uh, his name's James Dunn. Okay, yes, James Dunn. Uh, I I love I love how you're taking this thing that started with you in your school. You got interested in photography, and now you're spending time trying to do something that you feel like is is meaningful and has impact. Yeah. And I think this is that's the right question to ask, right? How do you, how do you turn this fun hobby into that? And I love, I've always loved uh, Jeremy Cowart, his work mm -hmm. and his photography is great, but it's like what I remember him for is for one, uh, he did a series in Haiti right after the earthquake where he got people yes. to hold up pieces of rubble. I think it was and that's write right. with a Sharpie uh, their yeah. thoughts about the earthquake and this blew this blew my mind. This was such a powerful photo project, an example of how you can take uh, you can take a photo which is can be hard to insert meaning into a lot of times on a daily basis, right? If you go spend some time in Afghanistan or something, you're probably going to find some meaning. But but on a daily basis for a lot of us, it's kind of hard to come across that. You really have to put some thought into it. Mm -hmm. And what he did there was amazing. You have people just telling their story of what happened in their town. You see buildings crumbled behind them. I was actually, uh, I look back at it when I was in Haiti at one point and I was feeling discouraged. I just looked back and I was like, this is why I'm here. This is what I'm trying to do. And so there's that right now. He's done plenty of other things. I think he's building a hotel at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The, the inspire hotel. But before you, before you move on, I've just wanted to, uh, 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 catch on to what you what you're saying. I think it's important to uh, um, the whole thing about holding the signs up. That's the context, and I think that context is so important. Context is the behind the scenes. It's the creative process. He could have just photographed that guy standing there, and it just would have been a picture of a guy standing there. That element adds so much context to it, and it's that 
element it's the context that i like to insert so one of my influences now is brandon stanton who does the runs the blog humans of new york yeah. so what so what um jeremy was doing there was the equivalent of that guy rather than writing in the captions they were writing it on this bit of paper again looking at brandon's work while it's not photographing anyone in like third world countries it's just normal people in new york if you again just to see a picture of a random guy in new york there's not a lot of meaning there until you read the caption and it's reading that caption that adds so much value and context to it you feel like you're you get to know that person more and that's why i like to uh uh, adds these the, a really big caption. I like to uh, again when I when I go to India or Sri Lanka, I I don't just photograph them. I want to know right. I get my notes app out of my phone. I say, what's your name? How old are you? Um, how long have you been doing this job? What struggles are you going through right now? And then when I then post that image, I kind of believe that the reason why you probably like that photo is probably because of the context as well. I think what I've written has helped you like the photo a little bit more than the photo itself because it's the creative process. It's like um, I was talking to my friend actually about this because I was uh, way back when I was thinking of maybe becoming a teacher, teaching photography, and my teacher saying, you know, you have to follow a certain curriculum of from getting them from A to B, but how you get them from A to B, this bit in the middle is up to you. And it's that that makes you unique you can take that i can, we can me and james we you, me and you could take this picture the same picture but how we take it could be different and that's the unique bit bit and it's in that unique bit that i like to film and show that creative process and that's what makes me unique and that's what shows the context and context can add value to your work and it can be the difference between you getting hired as well so i, I there's a great book i totally recommend any photographer to read it called Show Your Work by Austin Cleon. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a fantastic book and he describes, and this is how um, context is so important. Let's just say, James, that you're in an, uh, in an art gallery and you're an art buyer, so you know your stuff and you see it, two paintings True. on the wall. True. True. <laughs> and uh, there's two paintings on the wall. They look exactly the same. And you've got you've to go up because you're like, even down to the brush Ladies and strokes, gentlemen, these he's guys moved up close same. to the camera. He is he has his hand on his lip. <laughs> <laughs> just for anyone it's who's listening, I have to hang give on. him context. It's it's very important. Yeah, hang on. Hey, should I, hang on, let's just like bring bring the lighting a he's little got bit the, more. Now he's got the, 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 the strong light a spotlight on his face. That's it. That's it. Is there any way you can make your camera black and white for this moment? <laughs> Oh, I wish. Uh, we've, got, we've, got, we've got a nice bit of blue rim some, coming in. Some from dark the, noir. From the, from the, yeah, hang on. And maybe you can do that in, in post for I'll me. have hang to, on. Yeah. Just go black and, yeah, go black and white. I'll now. go get, right, right. I'll get that and I'll go get some, some 1940s soap opera music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'm sure you can find it on Epidemic Music. Absolutely. Yes, yes. No, sorry. So let's, yeah, these two art pieces on the wall. We digress. We're good at this, aren't we? And you've got to ask the guy that works there, what's the difference between these two paintings here? And he says, ah, well, the one on the left was painted in the in the 18th century by a very well-known painter by the name of, who's a very well-known painter, you know. Uh, and over on the right was painted by a student last week who wanted to see if he could recreate it. Now, even though they're exactly the same, James, 
What one would you rather have hanging on your wall? I'll take the one from that. Yeah. That, that one it's, seems like it has a bit more emotional weight to it. But even though they will look exactly the same on your wall, you would rather take home this guy because when people come around and ask about it, you're going to give them the context. You're going to give them the story. You're going to give them the meaning. And it's everything I've just said there is what I like to put in my behind the scenes videos. You add context, you add meaning, you add value, you add uniqueness because because you've got a story uh, story there. Everyone loves a story. And that's, again, why I love my behind the scenes videos, because it allows me to flex my filmmaking muscles, because I don't do an awful lot of filmmaking work because I it, there's not as much money in filmmaking as there is for in my case anyway than my photography I, I'm, I get far more photography work than music video work because when it comes to music videos there's always a need for a much greater budget than a photo shoot and with a music video I'm going to need a team we're going to need resources materials you know more time etc so that's why for me it doesn't come around as often filmmaking jobs um, so that's that's why these behind the scenes video allow me to kind of creates flex my creative my filmmaking muscles very good very good that's good stuff man i uh so we have about 15 more minutes before we both have to get back to work or whatever sure. you're going to be doing uh, i have to yeah. get back to work uh and oh also i very quickly i must say that i'm glad you're here today because you were telling me beforehand that your axle exploded on the road on the way home yes. and you almost died and i'm glad you're here <laughs> with us today uh, this would have I would have been having a very lonely yeah. conversation. You just wouldn't would have been chatting to this lamp behind me. Just been, this very <laughs> it's it's lamp. a great lamp. I mean, really, yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool, isn't but it? Just a, it has a little bit less uh, personality and engagement than I would say you do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It doesn't true. laugh as much. No, <laughs> I do have quite a big grin. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Okay, so with this last couple of minutes. Even though sure. I did want to get into your um, speaking, maybe if we get back together cool. again another time, we'll talk more about that. But I wanted to talk about your trip to Ethiopia. Yes. Um, and I think hopefully we'll have a perfect amount of time to, to get through that in a really, really lovely and all-inclusive type of manner, I suppose. But <laughs> first off, I, I, so I watched your, I think it's your latest one on your channel where you were speaking in front of a crowd and you were telling the story of this trip and I found it absolutely fascinating. But first off, before we get into what happened involving, um, I, I, I suppose a couple of AK 47s and <laughs> some, some, you know, some not, not, it's, not good times. It's a hoot of a story. I bet, yeah. I mean, anytime you have an AK 47 in a story, it's gonna, it's the entertainment value goes way up. But, oh, yeah. uh, first off, how did the trip come about? So uh, carrying on with um, my per my personal work, like uh, wanting to do uh, personal projects, I like to do one big travel trip a year um, because I just love traveling. It's another one of my loves. Music's one and traveling's another. Um, so I love to shoot environmental portraits abroad in usually in Asia because I love that part of the world. And I wanted to explore Africa. I'd never been to Africa before. So I was Googling around some tribes and some very interesting kind of cultures and people in the, in Africa and came across the Oma Valley in Southern Ethiopia. So I looked into kind of pricing how much it was going to cost. And I learned very quickly that it was going to be maybe too much money for me to afford. 
And I'd kind of like put the feelers out on social media that this may be my next trip. And then when I realized that it was going to be too much money, I was thinking that, I, that you know, people were just going to forget about it because I thought I'm probably not going to be able to go now. But Olympus saw various different social, social media um, mentions of it and contacted me and said, we would like to sponsor your trip to Ethiopia, um, you know, budget, budget permitting. So can you pitch us what you hope to get and we'll let you know if we can accommodate obviously uh, on the assumption that you use our camera um the their flagship model is is the e, currently at the time of recording is the em1 mark ii mm. and um so it was it, it was a case where not to sound disrespectful to olympus but it was i either go with olympus or i don't go at all because I, I couldn't afford to go. So I was so happy and blessed with the opportunity that they, they were going to pay for it. So, um, so yeah, I went with Olympus, but, uh, and this is something uh, I have not really uh, spoken about online, but I had a lot of anxiety before that. So, um, because I'm going to a, a country or a continent I've never been before using a camera I've never used before with the and this is the first time a travel trip has been sponsored so i didn't want to let them down and i was also planning on delivering 11 talks at the photography show about it and i thought what if this goes wrong there's so much for me to lose here so i'm so glad that uh most of the trip went well and i was able to come back with a good behind the scenes video and a bunch of cool photos that i'm really proud of so how did you deal with that pressure do you like coffee did that help yes because uh do you know what? I actually only started drinking coffee in the last kind of six months and Ethiopia's where it was born. That was where it was, you know, came from. So I drank a lot of coffee there and oh my God, the coffee there is amazing. I was buzzing. <laughs> I was so buzzing, but I was saying to, um, uh, I, I hosted a, you're just running around show. kicking over houses in the village and they're like, man, we got to get oh, yeah. this guy out of here. This is a nightmare. <laughs> no wonder i was nearly kept kept hostage <laughs> it was a, a no just to kind of um only because i've never mentioned this online before but i was talking to my girlfriend emily and i said i was like almost in tears about going i was literally like five minutes about to leave to go to the airport and i was really upset because i i thought I, and i said to her i should be happy right now but i'm not because mm. i felt so anxious to do a good job because there was so much riding on this and um i had a lot of support with alex who came with me to ethiopia um so he was uh, yeah it was very i'm so glad that i had him with me um on this trip he was a great great support and obviously a great help um in support supporting not just me but also my light holding my light as uh, well yeah. so uh, yeah. so that's good yeah, so that's needs a good light around. holder Oh yeah, he's he's uh, my go-to voice-activated light stand. He's certainly got the height for it, <laughs> or maybe I'm just very short. <laughs> it's probably a bit of both. <laughs> okay, so well, so first off, before we get into uh, when things went wrong, what what did you find? What was interesting to you about Ethiopia? So, the, as a portrait photographer, it's obviously the people, and because uh, that part of the world, Asia included, have such diverse culture to how we live it's so different to how we live and part of the storytelling aspect to my photos when i mention talk about their story in the captions is is exactly that i wanted to learn about the the it's it's what the poorest country i've ever visited and i just wanted to see how they live what their outlook on life is 
are they aware of how we as Westerners live? And to go out there and just take some really cool pictures to add to my portfolio, it, it was also, and you know, just an, another element to it. But yeah, just to meet some really cool, interesting people, find out their stories, and just to experience their culture is what I love to do. What 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 did you observe about their general happiness? It was. It depends on because we we visited about five or six different tribes who are which are scattered all all around um, southern Ethiopia. So each tribe was like a five hour trip in between. So in five hours, you can walk into totally different kind of atmosphere. I think it's the right word because there were some atmospheres that were quite hostile mm. and others that were really chilled, really cool. Uh, you can, you really get a sense as a, you know, if you're, if you're a good people person and I think most people would be able to get a vibe and you certainly got a vibe with some tribes compared to others. So there were some tribes where you had to physically be assisted with a guy with an AK. Uh, they, that was called the Mercy tribe. They, that, this is the tribe, as you may know, of the, where they have the lip plates. Mm, okay. Uh, where, so that, that they were quite hostile and very kind of defensive. Whereas the Ari tribe were really cool, down to earth, super chilled. And for that reason, we stayed longer interacted longer so you kind of just as a people person you kind of just kind of use your instinct and know when you've outstayed your welcome and it's time to go mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm. uh did was there any hostility towards you as a white person showing up with a camera trying to take photos of them um i I don't think so because we were with a guide and uh, because the guide who was with us and this is a tip that I always give people if you're doing anything like I do always always have a have a have a guide with you because mm. they open up doors that you never knew existed and so i i think that that's that gives the the people and tribes and people around you a bit of comfort knowing that there is a local and this guide does it all the time so he knows the tribes some of them so some of the people by name and he's like he goes up and says hello to them as if they're old friends even though we're we're going all over the country because he does it all the time so so yeah not hostility not so much apart from one incident but yeah for them yeah for everything else it was uh um it was more because they they saw you with a camera and you're white you're probably um you know have got money they expect to be paid for every single photograph which was a little bit of a downside that i don't talk about too much online was that it was a little bit like a you know or let's talk about business as after the photo which is obviously what you don't see in the video you know i'm not going to show that in in the video but that was the reality was that after a photograph was taken there was always a negotiation of how much to pay them because while if you're a normal tourist or with an iPhone or with just a basic camera phone, that click, that would be it, five burr. That's it. Whereas with us, we've got a softbox. They know that we've probably got more money. I'm spending maybe two minutes of their time rather than one click of their time. So they expect more money, but other people expected different sums. So there was always that bit of negotiating game. Um, that's as far as hostility, if you like. And I wouldn't even call it that. It's just their, it's what they expect because some of these tribes rely on tourists tips and that's just the way it is. Yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah, sure. Sure. I, I, I'm sure that a lot of that came from people watching, you know, national geographic, um, documentaries about these tribes who, you know, they, the, they put the plates in their lips or you have the tribe that they'll put the rings on their neck and they're, they're just incredibly 
eclectic, interesting people. And I, I wonder what they think of us coming. Because when we show up from America or from Europe, we bring cameras, period. Right. So that's, yeah. that's just going to be part of the, the situation. And I wonder what they think about that. I wonder if they go, where is this going to be? Right. When I was in Haiti, it was like, I, f- I felt in the air that there was a general openness on one, on one hand, but there was also a, a general, just, you know, skepticism. Like what's, what's he, what's he up to? Right. And yeah, now sure. I also was, I had long red hair and you don't see a lot of uh, guys with long red hair in Haiti. And, uh, and so I would, I would, you know, go, I'd bring up my camera and try to take a photo or I would ask or whatever. And well, for one, you learn how far a smile goes. Smiles oh yeah. Big hugely time. Important. Yeah. No. Did you, did you have a guide James? We, yeah. I mean, we had people that we were, we were staying with. So whenever we actually ventured out, we had people around us that spoke the language and this sort of thing. Now I didn't, uh, I didn't go into places I didn't speak to people and say, Hey, I'm going to go take photos here. Help me take photos. I was sort of with other people Uh, and I was, I was managing on my own. So there was maybe some limitation to that, but, uh, but we, you know, we sort of were told, Hey, this is what you can do. And this is maybe don't do this. Mainly don't go out at, you know, at night. Right. Yeah. Uh, but we, but what was interesting is you get these two polar opposites. You get, you get the sort of, uh, skepticism and i think mainly in uh, port-au-prince which is the capital which is the where the earthquake struck the hardest i didn't experience too much of this but i remember in a jeremy cowart's video about his his uh portrait series there he was saying that there was just some that there was maybe a little bit of frustration with photographers because whenever that happened when the earthquake mm-hmm. first happened there were hundreds of photographers showing up taking their photo and then leaving and so yeah. if, if you live in haiti you're like okay what what does this mean for me as somebody who lives here? Like you just took my yeah. photo. What, you know, I can imagine what they would think. And, uh, and so I think yeah. it, maybe no, that lingered that. by the time I got there and I got a little bit of that, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think they're just normal people like us, but you have to be aware of the circumstances, right? Yeah. And I think that's the same in not, uh, not just, uh, Haiti, but in, um, in, in Africa where I was is that, um, it's 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 a tribe that does get visited off more often than i thought to be honest by tourists so there is that kind of uh yeah, I, I, t- I totally get what you're saying but whereas what's you know maybe a little bit different about me is that i won't just take their picture and then go away i i want to now sit down with them and you know uh, that's the inspiration i get from brandon stanton is i want to spend a bit of time with them or get to know them and you know so that they feel more comfortable with me so that there have been occasions and uh, um maybe we'll talk about it in the next one but uh, where i've build up relationships over the course of a week in Sri Lanka with fishermen. Oh my I actually, I, I, I actually uh, posted a picture of a fisherman on my Instagram a couple of days ago. I'm writing but that I, down right now. Cause that's, that sounds like that's going to be some amazing stuff. It's, it was, it's cool, but I, I wasn't, I, I was only able to gain that trust. Um, actually, no, it was, it was almost a year in the making because I, I, I go um, for, a th- for three years. I went every year to Sri Lanka with a charity and on the first year I met this guy we had got a relationship and then it was the second year seeing him again 
and I went back with a print and I said, look, this is a print from last year. And I also gave him a, uh, a wristband, one of my Tommy Reynolds wristbands as well. And uh, when I, I gave it to him, he was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And then I looked down at his wrist and he's wearing my wristband. He'd been wearing it for a year. He didn't know I was coming. And and I, uh, that was really special to me. And he and I said, can I photograph your boys on, out fishing? And usually they would charge tourists a hundred pounds to, to experience that. And I got it for free. And the fishermen were so friendly and really welcome into, there was no hostility with my camera whatsoever. And it was because I earned their trust. And mm. that is so important. Um, yeah, if you're lucky enough trust. to have that. Well, obviously if I was in Africa it, on this one occasion, I mean, I could go back and I could see the same people and probably would get an even better portrait. But in case I don't, you always want to try and, you know, approach, as you said, a smile goes a long way. Don't walk in with the camera right here or with the softbox ready to go. Everything's packed away. We're like, we're very warm, welcoming, you know, uh, and then you earn the trust and mm. get the camera out and then start shooting. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay. And then things went wrong. And then things went a little bit south. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or sideways, uh, as I like to say. Yeah, I, I yeah, it went. Uh, it was a uh, mis miscommunication. Get getting the wrong end of the stick. He they were a bit drunk, uh, but basically, I'll give you the short version. But uh, the uh, we were photographing one of the tribes. It was the uh, the it will come back to me. We were photographing one of the tribes, and these two guys rocked up on motorbikes and they were very upset. They, they were friends of the tribe and they were very upset that they'd, we had this big softbox out because they were then demanding a professional permit fee, which we weren't aware of. And they were very upset and we, they said, you have to stop. We need to leave. I'm like, okay, fine. We just thought we'd stay there. Welcome. And our accommodation was only around the corner. And so when we got around the corner back to accommodation, they had followed us back and said, you have to you have to follow us we need to escort you to the bureau because you need to talk about what's just happened we're not happy with you at all ah. so we're really scared at this point yeah so that's I've the part taken... where i would be like i uh, i'm gonna run i'm just gonna run that way into the field yeah see if i can get away <laughs> and i and I, I i i feel like i'm making this sound a bit tamer than it was because they were shouting constantly so i took the trigger off did my they camera. did they have guns in their hands at this point at this point, uh, at this point, no, they didn't have guns, but they they had machetes. Uh, equally as intimidating. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. The, the AKs weren't out yet, but they they were they were near. Uh, so I'm trying to make my camera look as insignificant as possible. So I'm kind of glad I took the mirrorless system out with me. So I had a pancake lens. I took the battery grip off, took the trigger off. So when I walked into the thanks bureau, Olympus. thanks Olympus, thanks <laughs> Olympus, save my buns, and. I thought the bureau would be this nice building, but it was actually just a dingy little shack in the middle of nowhere, uh, which actually made it even more scary. So we sat down really dark. Me and Alex are sat opposite each other like, what are we going to do? Like, cue the moody light again. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, our guide was there. He's trying to like console them. And the two guys that rocked up on motorbikes were there shouting like these guys are taking the piss or something. And they were like, like, hitting my back like go and get the softbox prove it to the, the head of the bureau that you're you know you you shouldn't be using this stuff and so we're really scared upset 
frustrated, nervous. And in the end, Alex turned to Caleb, who was the name of our guide, and said, what, what can we do to make this right? And they said, you have to pay. And we kind of saw that one coming. And they said, you have to pay 5,000 burr, which is the equivalent of 200 pounds. So I'm so, so scared. Was there a point in this, in this where you thought, I might not leave the shack? I did wonder. Do you know what? Actually, such a photographer. I was more concerned about the, uh, my hard drive than my own. <laughs> than my own. Uh, yes. You are I, indeed a photographer. I'm definitely a photographer because I looked out of the door and I saw a, a bunch of guys hanging around our van and I thought, God, don't please don't break into our van because that's where my hard drive is with all of the images we've taken. So this is right at the end of the trip. They come and in and they go, you don't have to pay anymore. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just take your hard drive. I'm like, uh, so we, we couldn't, we couldn't, we didn't have the money. So we couldn't pay. We didn't have $200. Our guy didn't have the money. So they gave us a 24 hour grace period to pay. Um, otherwise we were, you know, we, we or else what? Uh, so I'll be, I'll be in very shortly. Be in very shortly. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, yeah, um, sorry, you can cut that. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. So you were saying uh, you were saying that they gave you a 24-hour grace period, and you now you have to pay tomorrow. Yeah. So and um, we, we didn't we didn't have the, so we went back to our accommodation, and I didn't feel safe because there was this money that was you know pending that was hanging over us. So they followed us back to our accommodation, and that's when AKs were around and stuff. And did you, did you and, ask? Uh, did you ask? What would happen if they, if you know, you didn't show up tomorrow? Was there, or was, but, was there any indication of what would happen? I didn't want to ask either, to yeah. be honest. I knew it was going to get paid because uh, we just needed to wait for the bank to open. So we, uh, when the bank opened, we didn't sleep that night. And uh, Alex slept with the monopod that we were using to hold the softbox up. He slept with it next to his bed, uh, <laughs> like that was going to stop us. But uh, I didn't sleep at all. He didn't sleep at all. And uh, the next morning, we went to the bank. We paid. You guys up. are in there learning how to and make prison shanks fine. out of the yeah. bed frame. <laughs> I'm like writing. I'm like writing home, but t- t- tell my mom I love her. <laughs> but um, we're gonna yeah. we're gonna attempt to get away with with a, a sharpened toothbrush. We're gonna hope yeah. for the best. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. But we paid and it was fine. And yeah, so I was so so glad to be home. Um, luckily, that happened at the end of the trip. But um, the full uh, if. If uh, if if I may plug, if you want to hear the full version of this story, um, where I go into a little bit more detail, then you, you can find the full like twenty minute video. It, it's interesting that people responded more because that was originally that was like a, a half an hour talk um, on the day talking about Ethiopia and the, the the what went wrong bit was the end segment, and it's funny how that got so much more engagement because people want to know what went wrong versus what went right because it's. Every, everyone just shows off their highlights but it's very rare that people show off their um what went wrong you know their vulnerability because as Brene Brown says vulnerability is a is not a weakness it's a strength mm. and oh, absolutely, as a yeah. in a roundabout way to kind of round it up it's by showing that vulnerability and telling people what really happened I think people kind of maybe related to me a little bit more and you know you know things go wrong for me you know it might I might paint I may paint a pretty picture on Instagram or whatever, like 
so many of us do but you know things do go wrong and i think it's important to uh to show off and or even just to tell people that mm-hmm. very good okay well that is this is a good spot to wrap it up uh thanks awesome, for th- thanks for telling your terrifying sharing your terrifying life changing ordeal <laughs> with us involving machetes and ak-47s we're all better for it thank you no, thank you very much james i really appreciate it thank you for asking <laughs> me to give this chat absolutely i would uh of course i would love to do this again and, and and i feel like there is definitely more that we can talk about but um okay that's it uh links below for uh for anybody i would love to hear your thoughts everybody thank you so much again tommy i hope everyone has a lovely day and hopefully we get to do this again sometime and goodbye <laughs>